Well, it's a little bit different setting than last week. Um, last week, obviously, with the church being canceled, all the churches being canceled. By the way, um, I don't know where Mike went. We're going to put his phone number up on the big screen later. Since he likes the white sparkly stuff, the glittery stuff, they can call you to come shovel since you like to shovel. So um, wasn't much shoveling going on during the uh, Sunday morning hours last week. Hopefully you, you tuned in. Um, I'm very thankful for technology. There's a lot of times I don't like technology, but that we could go live from my living room and you're able to watch on YouTube or catch it later. That was very unique. Um, yes, I was wearing jeans. I was not wearing pajama pants or shorts, Denny, um, as some maybe thought. My pulpit was our laundry basket turned upside down, though. So, um, But it was, it, was, it was a unique time. And so um, I'm just glad that we're, we can do that, that we can stay on track with being in God's Word together as a family. So right now what we want to do, though, is continue to read in the book of John. And if you missed last week, I'm going to just say this. We started the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 was last week. We did an introduction the week before that. You can go onto our website, click on, and listen if you missed. Um, But here's the thing. Verses 1 to 18 is at least two months' worth of sermons and Bible studies. And we try to condense it into one week, and so it's very difficult, much to cover. Hopefully, if you were in a small group last week, uh, you were able to maybe go a little bit further, and you could have gone even further beyond that, Okay. Um, if you're not in a small group, check in the bulletin. Just come to any one. We're going to cover what I'm talking about today. Um, but I want to review to make sure we're on the same page as to what the, uh, the main points are about in the book of John. So real quick, uh, John wrote the book for, for three main purposes. One is that we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Son of God, not a Son of God, the Son of God. Something I didn't cover, by the way, last week's message was that uh, in the Jehovah Witnesses, in their translation, they take out the and they use a different, um, they use a Son of God. Um, so there are other religions out there that they, they mess with God's Word and then they try to share with you that, oh, He's just one of many. John telling us he is the Son of God. The other thing is, is that, that we may believe and that we may bear witness. So those are the main things that John is, is covering here. And we arrive in now to chapter 1 and verse 19, where we're going to start off in the, uh, the first week of Jesus' ministry. And John clearly marks out an event day by day in the first seven days starting with John the Baptist, and and no other gospel does this. And in these verses, John introduces us to these witnesses who are basically going to proclaim Jesus is the Son of God. And so one witness after another witness, one day after another day, we're going to discover this as we go, Um, and it's very unique, and it starts with John the Baptist. Now, before you're turning to the book of John chapter 1, I'm actually going to have you turn to the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1. And uh, if you would turn there, uh, and it's right before the book of John, and if you had John chapter 1, just you know, put a piece of paper in there like I just did, and we're going to come back to that. But in Luke chapter 1, uh, well, let's figure out where John the Baptist came from, okay? We're going to hear a lot about him today, but you need to know something about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his mother and his father, uh, you probably remember them, Zechariah, who was a Jewish priest, and Elizabeth, um, they are the parents of John the Baptist. Remember Mary? Mary is related to Elizabeth, so Jesus is actually a cousin to John the Baptist. Look at Luke chapter 1, starting verse 6. 
It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order and was on duty that week. And it goes on to say that as he was in there, an angel of the Lord, which was Gabriel, came to Zechariah and said, you know, basically, behold, your wife's going to have a baby. And Zechariah is like, are you kidding me? She is old. And at that point in time, uh, angel of the Lord basically went, zip it, okay? And Zechariah was not able to speak for the next nine plus months until John was born. But the angel said, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. And, you know, it's an amazing miracle here uh, that um, Elizabeth became uh, pregnant with John the Baptist. And again, John the Baptist, um, or I would say this, Elizabeth was to that point in age like, no, babies ain't happening. Okay? Now think about this. At that time and day, if that was fast forward to today, basically the doctors would say, you are not having a baby. Okay, now think about this for a second because I want you to read something else. Fast forward into verse 39, same chapter, Luke 1. And it says, a few days later, now this is after, uh, it's been a few months obviously. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. Now listen very carefully. Mary just found out from the angel that she is pregnant with Jesus. So she goes to see Elizabeth, her cousin, to visit her. And it says, she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, You are blessed by God above and all the women. Your child is blessed. What an honor is that the mother of the Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. Who's the first person to give praise to Jesus Christ? An embryo. An, an unborn. John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth was the first to give praise to Jesus Christ. Today, that might not happen. Due to an unfortunate bill that was passed in New York this past week, which many of us just turned our eyes down and just shook our heads saying, how could such evil come upon this nation that it's okay to take an unborn up to the moment that it is born and abort it and kill it? Now, if that law was then took place, Mary would have never had Jesus and Elizabeth would have never had John the Baptist because both were unwanted pregnancies. One was beyond age. The other one was a teenager who would have been stoned for what she had done. It would have been easier just to get rid of both of them. Aren't you glad that God puts a value upon the unborn? Amen? Now, there's another sermon. We could go this direction, but I'm not going to. I can feel my blood boiling already. So I'm not going to go there. Um, but I want to let you know that from the womb, there's life. That life jumped and praised Jesus. I would love to believe, and I can't, I can't say this scripturally, but I would love to say that every child that's not been born yet is already praising Jesus. I would love to say that. But I know from this scripture that John the Baptist leaped in the womb of Elizabeth and praised Jesus. Well, when born, Zechariah was given his voice back, and I want you to hear what Zechariah had to say once he could talk again. Okay, So look in verse... Um, 70, actually, let's go to 68. 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. And he said in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he visited his people and redeemed them. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant with them, the covenant he gave to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteous, righteousness forever. So basically what's going on here, Zechariah, this prophecy comes upon him and he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah that is coming. And then he says this to his infant child. Look at verse 76. And you, my little son, You'll be called the prophet of the Most High because you'll prepare the way for the Lord and you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. Zechariah, God's spirit fell upon him. And Zechariah is holding John the Baptist and basically saying, you're going to be the one to point people to the light. You're going to be the one that's going to point people to the one who will bring salvation. Now you need to hear that because when we get into John chapter 1, it's fun to look back and see what was prophesied, what took place, then you know, 30 plus years later. Okay? So with that being said, a little bit more about John before we get to John 1. He was the first prophet then to enter the scene 400 years after the last prophet. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, we figure out what John the Baptist preaches about when he is talking to others. He talks about repentance. He tells people, listen, the way you're going right now, the life you're living is a life of sin. You're making mistakes. You're making bad choices. You need to repent. Repent means a 180 and to walk back in the direction of God. So he says, repent, turn from your sins. So he's telling people to turn and come back. That was his message. He baptized people. Baptizing them was basically washing the outside. It's like, you know, washing your hands to make you clean. But God was already making the inside clean. The outside was a showing of what God was doing on the inside. And it was also showing what was going to happen to Jesus Christ when he would be buried And then he would rise again from the dead, just like when you go into the water and you come out. And just like your old sinful nature, you were once sinful, but in Christ now, you are new and clean. So this is why John baptized by taking people and putting them under the water and bringing them up. And that's why we baptize in the same fashion. So he was also the one who baptized Jesus. He reflected that Jesus, who Jesus Christ was, and then He was murdered. He was actually beheaded by Herod Antipas uh, after being imprisoned because basically John the Baptist called him out saying that his marriage, he committed adultery in marrying another woman that did not belong to him, matter of fact, to his brother. And John the Baptist called it out. Herod didn't like it. And he ended up being beheaded. The same Herod who, when Jesus was on trial, stood before Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod, that same Herod. So can you imagine Jesus Christ standing before Herod, the one who murdered your cousin, and you're looking at him, and he says, so you're the Christ. And we all know the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ right there could have said something, could have condemned him, could have snapped his fingers, and Herod would have fallen over, right? But if you remember that moment, Jesus Christ never opened his mouth. 
It says, like a lamb being led to slaughter. He did not say anything, right? That's the same Herod. Okay. So we're all on the same page here. So now look in John chapter 1. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And while you're turning to John chapter 1, I'm going to re- reference something from last week. Now, verses 1 to 18 was all about who is Jesus Christ, right? But smack dab in the middle of that, verses 6, 7, and 8, something came up about John the Baptist. Because we're talking about Jesus, the Word, and, and his life, and his light. And then it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, verse 6. And verse 7 says, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, simply a witness to tell about the light. So before we get into more about John the Baptist, John the author sort of interrupts in the middle of his life and light. says, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. By the way, we're going to talk about him in a little bit, but you need to know who John the Baptist was. He's not the light. He's going to talk about the light, but he is not the light. He is a witness to the light. And it's important, I think, uh, maybe John, the author, inserted him here because he had been talking about lightness and darkness. And so he wanted to mention that John the Baptist was going to be a testimony to the light. And it's not just that he was a witness to the light, but he was a witness. Now, you think about this. When you get on a, on a jury stand, or, or not just a jury stand, I'm sorry. When you get in front of a court and you are called to be a witness, you are now standing in front of people, you give your testimony, you are no longer neutral. Everybody knows from your testimony where you stand. So again, John the author puts John the Baptist up here and says, he's going to give his testimony, you're going to know exactly where he stands. So again, this is all coming in, who is John the Baptist? He is not the true light, he's a witness to the light, he is not neutral. Okay, so we know who John the Baptist is coming in, now let's read about him. John chapter 1, verse 19. This was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Well, we've already learned from from John 1, 7 that he is a a witness. Now he's about ready to give his testimony as to who this witness is regarding Jesus. And they want to know, what is your claim? So what does it tell us? Who are you? They want to know three different people. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you prophet? Now let's go back to the first one. Are you the Messiah? These people have lived under the rule of Rome for a long time. These people have been embraced with, with being almost like slaves to Rome, a life they did not want, but it was prophesied that a Messiah would free them. So these guys are thinking, could you be him, the Messiah who's going to free us? Are you the one that's going to free us from all of that? And with emphasis, John told the religious leaders, he goes, no, I am not the Messiah. He's not come to focus his attention upon himself. He, he's not the Messiah. He's here to point to the Messiah. Now, it's important for John, the gospel writer, to make it clear that John the Baptist did not claim to be more than what he was. 
Because it's very easy for somebody who serves God or in any position of leadership or any position of being a spotlight on them to claim to be more than what they are. There are many men and women of God who begin as witnesses to who Jesus Christ is, but over time, because maybe they become popular or maybe become the well-loved or whatever it may be, they begin to speak in larger audiences and sold-out gymnasiums and and stadiums. They sign autographs and so much. All of a sudden, they're like celebrity status. And they forget that they are the ones to point people to Jesus. And they almost feel like they are the answer to people's problems. It can happen so easily. There was, um, I don't know if you remember the, the WWF wrestler, uh, George Animal Steel. Anybody remember him? He had a green tongue. Yeah, and he's really hairy. I know, some of you like grossed out by that. So, but here's the thing. Many years ago, Orville Fricke, who, who passed away years back, uh, lived over um, in, in, the, in Pettisville, Archibald area. Some of you may know who he was. Um, at the church I was at previously, he brought in George Animal Steel and a couple other wrestlers to church. They were doing a big wrestling thing at the Lucas County Rec Center. And, I mean, there was going to be this big WWF showdown. And Well, there's a couple of those wrestlers that were believers in Jesus Christ, George being one of them. So they came to our Sunday school class. And this is like my first or second, maybe third year as a youth pastor. I was very young in youth ministry. And I was like, oh, this is cool. we got some wrestlers. I didn't know much about George Animal Steel. I didn't know that, see, as a, as a wrestler, he didn't talk. He grunts. He's like, <clears throat> And he's like, okay. Well, he comes into our Sunday school class, and he gets introduced, and he gets up, and he looks at everybody, he's like, <clears throat> I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, what a testimony. Y'all get that? I'm changed. I don't know about you, but... Well, fortunately, the other wrestler stood up, and he shared his story, and it was very good. Well, that afternoon, we went to the Lucas County Rec Center because uh, Orville asked me, he said, hey, in between a couple of the wrestling matches, would you be willing to get up and share the gospel? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm young and naive. and like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. And then I thought about it after I got there. I'm sitting ringside. These guys are smashing chairs over each other. Okay, the old school WWF, you know, they're like pile driving, all that kind of stuff. I don't even know I got the term right. I don't know. I just know they're jumping on each other and breaking things. And I'm like, okay. And they got done, and like... And now they have one of those little things, that, you know, and I, so I go center ring and I start sharing the gospel. I got done and all of a sudden these kids come out of these stands and they come running down to me. It's like, oh, it was kids from our youth group, about four or five of them, right? And they just wanted to have fun with me. So they had like a piece of paper, like sign our, you know, get our, we want your autograph, sir. And they're just messing with me. I'm like, really? And I'm like, guys, you know, let's knock it off, you know? And I look up, all of a sudden there's like dozens of people coming down to get my autograph. I'm going, kidding me. It was one of the weirdest moments ever. But here's the thing. There's moments like that in my life where it's like I could have the opportunity to take some glory and to take some pats on the back, right? But I've learned this in life. Every time I do, God knows how to humble me, okay? I can't tell you how many times I have spoken in front of a group. I walked out and I looked like my zipper was down. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so embarrassing. I have, I have those moments, okay? I don't understand why, but I think God just says, your head's getting a little big. Let's, let's bring it down some, okay? So I understand when I, when I look at this, I think John the Baptist, in a very similar sense, he could have had a big head. He have all these people following him now. And it's like, I'm not the Messiah. And he had to calm people down right away. And so it's, it's, this is a good passage for every pastor, every leader, every, every person that's out there, when you are in a position where people start patting you on the back a lot, this is a good scripture to come back to. Just sort of bring it back down and say, it's not about me. 
It's not about me. It's about him. And we got to sort of stop and calm ourselves and say, not about me, right? Well, here's the second thing. They want to know, well, maybe you're Elijah. You are by the Jordan River. This is where Elijah came at times and performed some of his miracles. And incredible things happened. So maybe, uh, maybe you're like Elijah. It says in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that Elijah would be calm and back before the establishing of the eternal kingdom. So maybe this is Elijah. No. No. All right. How about you're the, the prophet? And again, another Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy 18, Moses shares that God promised another prophet would come and set up an eternal kingdom before the Messiah would come. So maybe this is the prophet right here. And again, John the Baptist is like, no. Then who are you? If you're you're not the Messiah, you're not one of these prophets, are you an imposter? Who are you? And the question is, why are these religious leaders so curious? I mean, did they really want to know, or were they upset because he's got this big following and people are not coming to the temple like they used to? Was it jealousy? We don't know for sure. We don't know the motive, but they were asking all these questions. So John's first discussion that we hear about John the Baptist is who he is not. I mean, what a welcome to a character in the scripture. Okay, who's John the Baptist? Well, before we tell you who he is, let's tell you who he is not. He's not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not a prophet. All right? Who are you? Let me tell you why it's important that we find out who he is. Because everyone has value. Every person has value. Your identity matters. And I, I know this, especially about leadership. It begins with who you are. And John is saying, I want to let you know who I am. But before I do, I want to let you know who I am not. I am not the Christ. Yes, I do have value in Christ. I do have value. I have, I matter, but I'm going to keep it humble here. I am not him. So in this passage, John makes it very clear he's not the Christ. So let's read on. Let's find out a little bit more about who he is. Verse 23, John replies in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of a sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John says here, I love this, he goes, goes, I'm the voice. Okay, I'm the voice. What does a voice do? Our voices do what? We, our voices project words, right? Words which are expressed. Think about this. No voice, no words. Let me ask you, which is more important? Which is more important, voice or words? Most of us will say, well, words matter more than the voice, right? Because you think about this. Anybody can use their voice, but the words that come out of our voice are what are harmful or helpful, are praiseworthy or not. And in this situation, John the Baptist is saying he is the voice. And I love how John, the author, cleverly pens this together because in the first few verses, what do we read about who Jesus is? He is the what? The word. John says, I'm the voice. I'm going to tell you about the word. 
and he uses words to talk about the word. What an incredible author John is as he pens this all together and how the Spirit works for him, right? He's the voice shouting, clear the way for the Lord is coming. He is quoting Isaiah 40, which is up on the screen right now. In Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5, it says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All the people will see together. The Lord has spoken. This sounds very familiar to what Zechariah said, too, about John the Baptist when he was born, wasn't it? He's clearing a way. He's preparing a way. And John explains to prepare the way is basically this. I'm, I'm baptizing people now, right? I'm cleansing them for the coming king. In other words, you better get cleaned up because the king is coming. And in ancient times, when dignitaries would come into a town or city... They would send out a group of people in a vehicle and they would come in whatever road it was. If there was bumps, if there was obstacles, they would remove them. They would, they would push them out of the way. If there were holes, they would fill them in. They would prepare the way for the dignitary, the important person who was on their way coming. And John the Baptist is basically saying right here, he goes, my function is not to tell you about Jesus Christ who's, you know, and, and teach ethics. and all. I'm here to point you to Jesus. And then the religious leaders, they wanted to know who John was. John wasn't really interested in hearing about who he was. He wanted to tell everybody why he was there. I'm here to be a voice. I'm here to prepare a way for somebody who's so much more important than me. Okay, so you're not the Messiah. I mean, these religious leaders are now like, okay, okay, you're not the Messiah. All right. So why are you baptizing that was an important question to them because they didn't baptize. They would do ceremonial washings to cleanse themselves. But the baptisms was meant more for the Gentiles. The Jews thought they were already clean. They already thought they were pure. But the Gentiles, they would get baptized. So as a Jew, if I got baptized, I am putting myself in the same company as these Gentiles, which that ain't going to happen. So... Why are you baptizing them? Why are you baptizing some of these other Jews here? We want to know. So, again, John explaining to him. Look at verse 26. He says, I, John told him, goes, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you don't recognize. You, they're not understanding who Jesus Christ, who the Messiah really is, and that he's preparing the way for the one who's coming. He says in verse 27, though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. See, the job of a slave was when you would enter the house, um, they would wash your feet for you, and then you maybe go have a meal with somebody, right? But they would take your shoes off and wash your feet for you. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the Messiah. Wouldn't you love that about people in leadership if they were not so like, hey, look at me. John the Baptist was like, don't look at me. I'm, I can't even untie the sandals of Jesus Christ. I am that low. But let me tell you about him. Let me point you to him. This is John the Baptist, a very, a very humble man. He goes on to say it took place at Bethany, the east Bank of the Jordan is a spot called Origins Time called Bethabar. It's a traditional, traditional place that they believe that, if you remember Joshua, when he had the Ark of the Covenant, and he crossed through the Jordan to go into the Promised Land before he went to Jericho. 
They believe that this could have been the spot where John the Baptist was doing his baptizing. And again, it's important when you read in Scripture names, locations, and dates. And you're thinking, why? Because a lot of people don't believe the Bible's true. So we're able to take Scripture and take it with other historical documents and line them up and say, these are real places, this was it happened in time, and these people existed in this time in other writings. So keep in mind whenever you see this. I also like to think that uh, for John, the author, when he's writing these things, it's like, I remember that spot. I was there too. He sort of remembers that and pens it in. So again, what is John's role? He is denying that he is the light. He's preparing for the light that's coming. And I want to say this to you as, as, a, as a brother in Christ, uh, looking at all of you out here who are Christians, you call yourself a Christian. Listen, we all have to do this. We all have to clearly admit we are not the light. Each and every one of us, you know, we are not God. It's not about us. When somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, could you, you know, could you do this for me? I mean, you are so awesome. And you it's like, thank you for thinking that way of me, but it's not about me. It's about my Savior who lives within me. It's about my Lord. And let me point you to him. We are not the Messiah. We're not Elijah. We're not the prophets. You know, we, we like, hopefully like John the Baptist, we just sort of prepare the way. We're the... But here's the thing. That's the first and the preliminary part of it all. There's more to it. John the Baptist just doesn't say, hey, I'm just a voice. I'm preparing the way. What does he do next? We have to point people to Jesus. We have to verbally tell people where Jesus is. It isn't one thing to say, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I worship God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It isn't just to proclaim what we believe, but we have to point people and tell people how to find Jesus Christ. Living like a Christian is living differently than the world, and, and part of it is we have to be verbal about it. Our conduct, like, well, people should know by my actions that I'm a Christian. True, but they need to know from your words who your Savior is. How will people know why we live the way we do if we never tell them? They won't know. We used to call the uh, mannequin Christianity. Like mannequins, they're on display like, oh, I want to buy that because you saw a mannequin. You saw it on a mannequin. Like, I wonder what this looks like. And you look at the mannequin, you're like, oh, yeah, I think I'd like that. And we think sometimes that people are going to look at us displaying Christianity and say, oh, I like that. I want that. No, they'll, they'll look at us and they'll see it and they say, oh, that's unique. But then we have to conclude by saying, let me tell you why I'm living the way I am. Let me tell you who it is that lives within me. Look at verse 29. This is one of the most incredible verses uh, that, that John's going to pen here in the first chapter. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did you see? Did you notice it says sin, not sins? Most theologians agree that, uh, that this was after John baptized Jesus. Jesus had gone into the wilderness for 40 days, had been tempted by Satan, and then Jesus comes back from the wilderness, and as he comes back and arrives on the scene, this is when John the Baptist says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One author said this, At the dawn of his ministry, Jesus was greeted with words declaring his destiny, his sacrificial agony and death on the cross for the sin of mankind. John the Baptist said, Look, a great teacher. Look, a miracle worker. He said, No, look. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
John is proclaiming who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and what he is going to do in this one sentence. He talks about how Jesus Christ will take the problem of sin in the human race and he will defeat it. John used the image of the sacrificial lamb, presented it, uh, which is presented in the Old Testament. And, and this week in your small groups, you'll have some scriptures you can look up and learn more about all the sacrificial lambs, from, from the Passover lamb to the lambs that the priest sacrificed for people's sins, to the point where Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And sin, not sins, because all the sins plural, are like combined and bundled into one big sin, and that is placed upon Jesus Christ. And when he died, that sacrifice erased that sin. And that's why just sin there, not sins. His capacity to forgive every single sin and cleanse every single sinner, the whole World. That's why John the Baptist understands he's not even worthy to untie the sandal of the Lamb of God that he points to. Because he is amazing. The sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, is incredible. As you read on through about John the Baptist and what he says, you have to stand back and say, what it was, so what is he doing here? Very simply, John the Baptist is saying this. This is who I am not. Not the Messiah, not, not Elijah, not a prophet. I'm a voice. I, I'm a voice that's telling you with words about the word. I'm one that's preparing the way for somebody behind me who is incredibly important, bigger than me. I am, I'm so low, I can't even untie his sandals. He is so awesome. He is the Lamb of God. There he is. And he points him out. And he tells everybody, he is the Lamb of God. He is the one you must follow. Church, I, I want to challenge you with this, okay? I want you to think about this. As, as to what John did, that's, our, that's what we can do. I don't know if you've ever gotten on an airplane before. And you can see right before takeoff, the stewardess will talk to the person sitting next to the exit doors. And they have a little conversation with them. If you've ever been there, you probably heard the conversation. If not, let me fill you in. They're basically saying, uh, you, you realize you're sitting next to an exit. Do you understand that sitting next to this exit, you are going to be responsible for helping people get out this door? Are you able to open the door if needed? Can you open that door and get people through if needed? Yes, I got, okay, then you can go ahead and sit here. Makes sense, right? And so just as the stewardess is looking for that person who can sit there and do those things to help people understand this is the door, this is the door, how it's open, and this is how you get through the door, it's in the same way. It's like God's looking for men and women who can say, like John the Baptist, this is the way to eternal life. This is the door into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. He is the door of life, and we'll learn more about that later in the book of John. But church, I believe that's what God's asking us to do. We should be able to sit right next to that exit door into eternity and say, I know the way. I can sit right here next to the door because I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way into eternity. Come with me. Come with me. Church, I want to encourage you. To know that truth. Now let me ask you. 
Do you know the way to heaven? This morning, where you're sitting, do you know the way to heaven? Will you be entering through that door? And are you able to guide others through that direction? I would, I would pray and hope that everyone in this room says, yes, I know the way in heaven. I've confessed my sins to a holy God. I am going to be spending eternity in heaven. But that third question, are you able to guide others in that direction? That's the one right there that I hope and pray that all of us are going to say yes. Listen, you don't have to be able to explain how the door works. You don't have to explain the dimensions of the door. You just know the urgency of getting people through the door and the passion to help others do the same. Jesus is that door. He is our eternal life. He is the Lamb of God. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, would you, would you stand with me? Church, I believe it's our, our responsibility, first of all, to know who Jesus Christ is. We need to know who he is. John was very clear about it. He knew who he was not, and he knew who Jesus is. And it's our job to tell others to point people to Jesus. Listen very carefully. It's like, well, I try to tell people about Jesus, but they won't listen. It's not your job to make them follow. It's your job to tell. It's our job to tell. It's our job to point. The results are up to God. We are not saviors. He is the Savior. We point others to the Savior. We're not responsible for whether they choose or whether they believe. We're responsible for pointing people to Jesus. Regardless of whether they believe or not, we have to earnestly share. We have to bear witness. Just as, just as if I were to pull a fire alarm because there's a fire, I'm going to pull that fire alarm and I'm going to open that door and I'm going to get people out, right? I'm earnestly hoping that people hear the alarm and that they will make their way to safety. As a Christian, that's what we do. This earth is on fire right now in a bad way. And they need to know how to find hope and life through Jesus Christ. Let's let them know. Let's tell them about the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Thank you so much, Lord, for the scripture today. For Help us remember it's not about us. It's all about you. Forgive us, Lord, for times we have become maybe a little big-headed or thinking that, it, hey, I've got this. I know this. God, we don't. We only know it because of you. It's all about you. We are not saviors. We are not messiahs. But we know you, the savior, the messiah. And God, there might be somebody in this room right now that doesn't know you. They've never, they've never prayed. They, they realize they've made some bad choices in life. And we call that sin. And that's the thing you died for, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for, the Lamb of God, to take our place so we wouldn't have to. Thank you for doing that. God, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from those bad choices we've made. Give us new life in you through your son, Jesus Christ. Your son is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto you except through him. God, help us to not only believe that, but to live that and to point others to you. Help us be quick to say, behold, the Lamb of God. Give us the courage and strength to proclaim that truth. Help us to stand where we'd rather sit and hide. 
You are an awesome and holy God. We love you, Lord. In my name we pray. Amen.